Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Waking up 135 years ago in the mining town known as Mineral Park, you would find all of your town official documents stolen. An election in Mojave County uh, for the county seat favored Kingman. But at the time, Mineral Park, who was the county seat, did not want to give that up. So as a result, to honor the election, the town of Kingman got together, raided the town, stole all the documents, and literally stole the county seat away from Mineral Park. Kingman's been our featured staycation destination in Arizona all month long. Our staycation winner is going to Prescott next weekend for the Christmas tree lighting. And you can enter to win for Phoenix in January by going to ArizonaStaycation.com. Kingman's a great town, a mining town, and next and tonight, if you wanted to go visit, you could see the Parade of Lights. I'm sorry, that's next Saturday. will be their Parade of Lights at 7 o'clock. It starts from the Lee Williams High School and goes to Locomotive Park. Tonight, Prescott has their 24th annual uh, Holiday Light Parade that goes down Cortez and ends up with a party and celebration with Christmas music and a bonfire at Mile High School and Park. And this week kicks off Christmas at Schnepp Farms in the Queen Creek area. They've got World of Illumination train ride, ice skating, Ferris wheel, 4D animated show, cookie decorating with Mrs. Claus, reindeer, hay rides, and more. So there's no shortages of things to do around the state. Get out and burn off a little bit of your Thanksgiving calories. The 87th uh, annual Junior Rodeo. And Florence is also this weekend. It's you, you hear about the longest, continuous, and then the world's oldest rodeo in Payson and Prescott. But Florence is home to the oldest, continuous, junior rodeo, and that's going on this weekend. Speaking of continuous, we've got a great guest in today. It's featuring the Verde River, the longest, continuous, flowing river in the state of Arizona. Max Wilson of Friends of the Verde River. Good morning and welcome to our Arizona Hour. Oh, thank you so much for having me up today. Well, who, who could be in Arizona and not love the Verde River? And, you know, I've spent untold hours water skiing Bartlett, fishing Bartlett, hiking up around Fossil Springs. Romy has canoed from Camp Verde to, to Horseshoe, Horseshoe, right? Horseshoe. Yeah. So we love the Verde River and all that it means all there on the west slope of the Matazals and the beautiful, beautiful area. But just a few things I did in preparing to meet you, Max, that I didn't know about the Verde River. The Verde habitat supports more than 50 threatened, endangered, sensitive, or special status fish and wildlife species. Yeah, that's correct. It's, a, it's an unbelievable resource here just in our backyard. Unbelievably resource. Starts just off the... Uh, Chino Valley Road, mm-hmm. uh, above Paulden there in Drake. Yep, right there on the east side of the freeway as you drive by. Little bitty trickle of a, a stream that ends up down by Drake, a pretty little setting there with the ranch house. You'll see it if you ever take the Verde Valley train ride out of Camp Verde. Yeah, we love taking that trip. I know I take my, my two young sons on that trip a couple times a year out of the Clarkdale. Oh, it's beautiful. And comes right through Camp Verde, dumps out, joins Fossil Springs, and dumps in a horseshoe and Bartlett and joins the salt 
just below Saguaro Lake. Yeah, and a couple other streams you cross along the way there, too. If you've been on Oak Creek in Sedona, that all feeds right into the Verde. Wet Beaver Creek is becoming a really popular hiking and uh, recreating destination. That all is pouring right into the Verde. The Verde is a big chunk of the state. And it's continuously running. So I know those mountains don't have snow melting year-round. Is it a natural spring that it starts off by up in Chino? That's a really, really good question. So, you know, with all of our rivers, when you're not seeing precipitation year-round, all the water that you see during the low flow times, you know, June and times like that where it hasn't rained or snowed for quite a long time, that's all coming from your groundwater and spring sources. The springs that start the Verde are up in that uh, Paulden area that we talked about earlier, right off the side of the road there. And those springs are the sole source of water for the river all the way until you get to Sycamore Canyon in the Cottonwood and Clarkdale area. So it's critical that those springs be continuing to flow or else you lose that entire chunk of river. Listen to this stat. I mean, this is mine. For me, it blows my mind that it, it, it really is a critically important riparian thread that goes right down the middle of Arizona. It supports over 60% of the vertebrae species that inhabit the Coconino, the Prescott, and Tonto National Forest. 60%. I mean, that's a... I mean, that's a that's a lifeline. That That's an unbelievable, valuable resource. Yeah, and you combine that with the threatened and endangered species stat that you shared earlier, and you think about not only do we have a lot of species there, a lot of them are really rare. That forest that you see as you're looking along the Verde or if you're looking along some of those tributary streams, again, like Wet Beaver or Oak Creek, that's a Goodings Willow and Cottonwood and Gallery forest, the rarest forest in the world. Right? There's no other place in the entire world where you find that southwestern uh, type of riparian forest. So if you lose that here, you're really losing it for a, on a global scale. A river that's fed in its first 30 miles, I'm guessing, yeah. only by spring water. Exactly. And then even the, as you get farther down the river during those June months, especially before the monsoon kicks in, you're still seeing primarily groundwater as the source. Yeah. For me, that generates a concern. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly something that we think about when we think about how we manage our water throughout the state and how we can continue to maintain having these um, really rare and valuable resources that you've talked about so far. I wonder how many water wells were drilled in the Verde Valley in 1950. Oh, it's it's an incredibly uh, small number. So, And I wonder uh, how many water wells are drawing out of that water basin today. Yeah, so for folks who don't know, um, if you're outside of the active management areas in Arizona, so that would be Phoenix, Tucson, Prescott, uh, Pinal County, the areas between Phoenix and Tucson. If you're outside of those areas, there's essentially no limit on groundwater pumping whatsoever. So if you own a parcel of property, it's your um, right to put a well underneath it and pump out as much water as you'd like. Um, Most of the Verde watershed is outside of those areas, so there is no real type of regulation limiting groundwater pumping out there. And we don't really have tools to even uh, have control over that for local communities if we want them. So it's, a, it's a, a serious concern. One of the interesting historical components of the Verde is at the confluence of Fossil Creek is the first ever hydroelectric generating plant built in Arizona. 
Yeah, so that's the child's power plant. It was fed by uh, a large wood flume that used to run along uh, Fossil Creek, if anybody. I know I was backpacking back there as a kid and seeing and playing on that probably really unsafe yes. flume. <laughs> yes, yes. Shouldn't tell the scoutmaster about that one. But it but sure was a fun ride. It certainly it? <laughs> was. And, you know, um, that flume ran all the way down, powered about um, – oh, it powered a majority of the power that Phoenix was getting in the early 19th, or, uh, 1920s. Yeah. And I've always heard the employees – of the hydroelectric plant started the nudist resort. Is that true? I I don't know if that's true necessarily, but I'll tell you, uh, you still see some interesting things down in that part of the state to this day. (laughs) And that power plant's no longer there, correct? Uh, The power plant, uh, there are components of it that are still there, but it's not operating. There's no electricity being generated. Yeah, so that was part of a large restoration effort led by a a really diverse group of, of people who... Uh, turned off the flume, turned off the power plant in conjunction with uh, Arizona Power uh, Company, APS, right? And uh, did that in the early 2000s. And now if you go to Fossil Springs and Fossil Creek and you see that big, wide open section that's so popular during the summer, a lot of that was just flowing as a trickle before the the flume was turned off. So it uh, it's amazing to think that that enormous tourist attraction really didn't exist all but 20 years ago. And there's a road right there if you can take it you can get all the way back into Phoenix. I mean, it's a very long ride. It took me nine hours. Uh, but you do get to some of the most remote areas of the state, yet completely surrounded by, you know, you've got, like you said, uh, Camp Verde to the north, Phoenix to the south. And in between those two, that remote area, what did you call that desert a minute ago, the, the only one in the world? So that, what we were talking about there is the riparian habitat. That's mm-hmm. a cottonwood goodings willow gallery is the technical term for it. Basically means you have big cottonwoods with some smaller willows underneath it. So every year I take my family camping somewhere in Arizona, and we always go someplace different. And along that road, there's a big campground area you can pull underneath, and you're under a shade canopy the whole time. And we went in the mid, we always go in June. And they're like, why aren't we going to the mountains? And I was like, guys, trust me, this is out here. I want you to see what you can find in the desert, that, that these little oasis exist. And, I mean, they thought I was taking them on a wild goose chase. And you you go through this area, and it's just rocks and a couple of creosotes. Then you round the bend, drops down into a valley, pull in, and you're under this huge cottonwood canopy with a natural spring coming out. I mean, we And nobody came across that. Uh, campground that entire week we were there we had this whole natural spring that went for a couple miles just as this big playground yeah it's amazing and that's part of why you get all those species that we were talking about earlier right you have this really rocky desert tough landscape with a riparian core running right through the middle of it and you know water is life in the desert so you can get those species that love living in the water all our rare fish all of our um you know animals that like living in those habitats, surrounded by the desert habitats around it. It's an amazing diversity that I think a lot of people, um, you know, I'm a born and raised Phoenician, but a lot of folks in Phoenix maybe don't even know is there just an hour or so and a couple hours from town. And let's talk about the fact there are stretches of it that have actually qualified uh, for the National Wild and Scenic Riverways. Yeah, so the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act is a really interesting, um, a really interesting act that uh, protects unique and uh, unique areas throughout the the West. There are only two wild and scenic rivers in Arizona. That's Fossil Creek and the Verde, right below uh, Camp Verde. We're unbelievably lucky to have those stretches here still in the state. Well, when we get back, Max, we brought you here to talk about friends of the Verde River, and all we've done is talk about the Verde River. So 
for a river that is primarily fed in in the first 20, 30 miles of its origin is all spring-fed, y'all have actually taken steps to preserve the flow, the sustainability of the flow of the Verde River. So we want to find out how can we all become friends of the Verde River. Cruise it through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. And segment number two is when we give away our Arizona State Park passes, true or false trivia. Text true or false to 411923. Focuses on Kingman, our featured staycation destination, uh, all month of November. This one is in regards to Beale Springs near Kingman. Where did the name come from? Well, Beale Springs comes for Lieutenant Edward Beale, whose claim to fame was testing camels as a viable transportation method across the desert for Army purposes. If you think that's true, text true to 411923 or false for false. We're joined with Max Wilson. What What is Friends of the Verde River? So Friends of the Verde River is a medium-sized nonprofit that is based out of Cottonwood, Arizona, who has the mission of... Uh, protecting the Verde River and making sure that we restore habitat, sustain flows, and promote community stewardship. So we may, we want to make sure that we have all three of those components in um, allowing the Verde River and all of our communities that depend on it to, to thrive moving into the future. How many acre feet of water flow down the Verde oh, that's in a, a given year? I know it changes probably every single yeah, year. Yeah, it, it changes every single year and, and by quite a bit because, you know, some years we have enormous flood and other years we have, um, you know, very, very uh, little water moving through them. The sum total ends up being somewhere in the realm of 30 to 40 percent of the total surface water use that the greater Phoenix area uses, depending on which city you're looking in and things like that. And snowpack, obviously, a big part. And we've got snow bowls open this weekend, looking to burn some calories. You can get up and uh, skiing is always a great recreational way to burn. And anytime you can get snow, yeah. <laughs> anytime you can get snowball open before Thanksgiving is a good year in my book. So, uh, have you ever kayaked the Verde River? Quite a bit, mostly in the section of the Verde Valley, which is where I think we see um, folks doing that today. Um, mostly today, not as many people going into those lower sections down below Camp Verde, just because they're hard to get to and um, can be a little trying if you're not necessarily the most seasoned outdoors person. Um, and the upper it, sections can be a little bit uh, low on water at times. And that was my question is, what's the perfect water flow for kayaking if you're trying to uh, to gauge when, when to time your recreation? When to time, yeah, you know, and I, I wish I had an answer for you on that. It probably, it really depends on who you ask. I, you hear numbers, you know, depending on uh, how fast you want to go and things like that. Um, and a couple hundred CFS being really ideal, but it, it depends on who you ask and what you're looking for. Is there a website that you can check to see what the flow rate is? And So the uh, U.S. Geological Survey has several gauges all throughout the, the Verde River. Um, the one that most people are using is either the one in uh, Sycamore Canyon, which is right above uh, Clarkdale, or the Camp Verde gauge uh, down below. So depending on what part of the river you're looking at, because things can really change above or below where Oak Creek comes in. Yeah, I don't know that I would do it today, but uh, if, if you're younger and adventurous, that is a great trip to go from Camp Verde to Horseshoe. Just know that uh, whatever 
water rig you're taking, you've got to be able to carry it because there's more than even in the highest flow, there's two or three spots that I remember you actually have to get out and pack it around yeah. um, unless you are just capable enough of, of doing a, a, a vertical drop in your <laughs> yeah there's there's some decent class three plus class four water in there so um, it's not for the faint of heart but that being said it's probably it's about as remote as you're gonna get anywhere here in the lower 48 on that west side of the mod at Sauls. Well, and I saw a white turtle. I had never heard of a white turtle. And it's got to be one of those endangered ones. And it was even floating underneath the kayak. So I picked it up. I'm like, hey, guys, look at this. And I put it back down. And that night I was really sick. And we got into town the next day. And we were just talking about it. And like, yeah, Romy got sick and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, you said you picked up the turtle. Those are poisonous boneheads. That's probably what made you sick. <laughs> That'll I've never do heard it. of a white turtle before. That'll do it. Well, Back to the Friends of the Verde River. How old an organization is this? So we were founded about 10 years ago, and it really started as a volunteer group of folks who were out there and especially kayakers who realized that we had all these invasive plants that made it impossible to actually get to the river. You know, I joke about when I was a kid, there were a lot of no river access signs, but there were no river access signs. You couldn't find your way to actually get onto the river in places. So Friends of the Verde River Greenway at that time was our name, and we were aimed at trying to get rid of those invasive plants along the riparian habitat and allow folks to actually access this this great resource we've been talking about. And again, y'all's mission is to ensure the Verde River flows for generations. Exactly. We keep poking drill hole, uh, well holes up there. Uh, it isn't going to take very much without some real stewardship plans. And y'all have kind of brainstormed a stewardship plan that has received a lot of national recognition. Yeah, so the Verde River Exchange is a program that we operate out of Friends. And what it is, is a groundwater offset program. And what I mean by that is it's a way for folks who need to use water, right? Because we all need to use water in our day-to-day -day basis to work with others in the community to make sure that the water we're using doesn't have an impact on the river. So we work with the Nature Conservancy, uh, Environmental Defense Fund to find folks who are willing to reduce their water use. We can calculate how much water is actually saved and then turn around to other businesses that need to um, use water to, to make money. You know, if you have a vineyard, right, there's a certain amount of water you have to put on the grapes to make them grow and sell those savings back to them. Um, it's a revenue neutral program. We don't take any cut off the top of it, but it's a way for those folks to eliminate their impact on the river itself. That's fantastic. And if someone, if one of our listeners or many of our listeners, I hope, desire to become a friend of the Verde River, where would you send them? Well, I'd go to verderiver.org. That's our website. You can find all the information there. You'll also find my contact info there. I'd be happy to answer any questions folks have. Max Wilson, Program Manager for Friends of the Verde River. Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. The answer to this week's true or false trivia was true. Beale Springs was named after Lieutenant Edward Beale, whose claim to fame was uh, testing out camels as a viable means of transportation for the U.S. Army. Can you imagine coming out of West Point or, or military school or boot camp training? All right, son, here's what we want you to do. We got these camels we ordered. We're going to send you out to Arizona desert, and you're going to drive them across the desert. Good luck. One of the <laughs> biggest surprises of all history is that that didn't work. You would have thought 
that it would have worked great. If I would have been in the cavalry of the U.S. Army back then, I would have wanted to take credit for that idea. <laughs> Get old High Jolly here. You remember the High Jolly monument out at Quartzite? The Most people familiar with the story associate High Jolly, who was the Arabic, what do you call him, camel handler? Camel jockey? <laughs> I don't know what you uh, call they, recruited out to help them understand and, and use these animals. They could manipulate horses and they could use oxen for plowing, but nobody could figure out how to use these camels. So they recruited some Arabic men and High Jolly was the most famous and he's got a monument and court site. Yeah, I just, I, I, it always amazed me that experiment did not work out better than it did. And you always hear High Jolly associated to it. You never hear about Edward Beale Springs. That's right being, you know, the, the army commander in charge of, of overseeing this operation. This is your sign. <laughs> <laughs> Beale Springs starts near Kingman, Arizona, and Kingman was recently named by Reader's Digest one of the nicest places in America to be, and it revolves around a man named James Zelia, or Santa James, and he considers himself a roaming musician, and he's just made Kingman his home, uh, the last couple of years, and you could find him random places just singing Christmas songs. And in a couple of weeks, uh, Halapai Mountains nearby, they've got a winter wonderland at Halapai Mountain Park. That's uh, December 14th and 15th. Prescott, which you know we'll be highlighting next week, they always steal it because they're the Arizona Christmas city. But there's a lot of other great Christmas experiences in Arizona, and the Halapai Mountain National Park has theirs October 14th and 15th. That's one of the more undiscovered mountain ranges in Jennifer and I's Arizona travel diaries. We have not spent a lot of time in the Wallapais. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you and I have ever spent time together in the Wallapais. I would say not. Yeah, I've, I've been up there maybe a dozen times over the last 40 years. But uh, a very intriguing mountain range, to say the least. Occasionally gets snow as well. Absolutely. You, you wouldn't tell by driving by and looking at the terrain that this would be an area that would ever get snow but i have seen pictures of snow cover yes halapai and you call them wallapai so that's a silent h yes unlike all I've, the well <laughs> i've always called them the wallapais yeah i think you're right unlike all the other h indian terms like ha hasiampa hopi uh that one's uh that one's silent wallapai got to designate that to memory speaking of all of the, these things with the friends of the verde river that was in in the last segment in the Hacienda River Preserve y'all had last weekend and the hydroelectric dam that was on the Verde. Have you seen that there's a proposal, a, a company out of Phoenix is wanting to put four dams on the little Colorado River for hydroelectric generation? And isn't that river on the Indian Reservation? Yes. So I would think the answer would be probably not very interested. I, it would I, I would tell you it doesn't matter where that river runs. If they want to put four dams on it, the chances of them being able to move one rock is about a billion to one, and I'll lay odds on it. <laughs> well, after doing the, the water topic for the last couple of months, I feel very thankful for one thing of our water supply we have here. The people who had the foresight to build the dams on the Colorado River, and then the people who had the foresight to protect certain areas of water, like uh, Rosie and I were at the Hacienda River Preserve last week. And... That's, you know, what we decide like 70 or 80 miles of river that's underground with a few, maybe 5 to 12 above ground. And it's evolved through all sorts of things. A trailer park, um, a developer came in and tried to put um, luxury homes on the property. Can you imagine 
if that wasn't there for us to enjoy. If you have a chance to go over there, there's a beautiful riparian area that you can enjoy and birds, 300 species of birds. Yeah. I'm sure that would be all gone if it hadn't been for the foresight of the Nature Conservancy. It's a tough balancing act because as little a chance as I think they'll ever have damming one drop of the little Colorado. I may be wrong. Think about where we'd be had we never built any dams in Arizona. It wouldn't be the same. Well, we wouldn't have a, the water. We'd, well, we'd be a completely different state for sure. So it, they're, they're not all bad, that's for sure. Uh, I but, just don't see that one. And I don't know what that would do to the little Niagara where they call it, I think they call it Chocolate Falls when the spring runoff comes real heavy. The and little it, Colorado Grand Falls. Yeah, the Grand Falls, which is taller than Niagara Falls. That's yeah. what the tie-in is. Yeah. It is pretty when it's flowing. <laughs> so we've got ski resorts opening this weekend. Yeah, baby. Speaking of water in They're another form. Both yeah. open, yes. Uh, Snowball and Sunrise. Do you guys have a preference? I like Sunrise because it's more family. Snowball, I feel like I'm getting ready to be decked by a snowboarder any minute. <laughs> but Sunrise, I like. It's longer, slower trails, more family, lots of kids. Little kids, not big kids. <laughs> I have not been since they opened the second, the newest lift on on uh, Snowball. Have you all been? Yeah. Has that changed at all? Like the, the dynamic add, of... Oh, yeah, it just added... It just added a whole lot more terrain. It didn't bring, like, the snowboarders over there and make the side of the mountain a family No, park. there's too many snowboarders <laughs> everywhere. I do, I do love a resort that divides them. <laughs> I lost all my faith in Poro Taos, New Mexico. Oh, because they, 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 they held forbid, out a long time. They forbid snowboards, and that's one reason I supported them so much. <laughs> <laughs> they finally caved in. Anyway. I never really had a problem with the snowboard other than just what it did to the snow. That's, That's it. Right. You yeah. know, it, it, it ruins your... No, your... it's that sound behind you. <laughs> when some kid's going, oh, and it has no control, and you hear them coming your way, it's just a matter of time before they blow you over. <laughs> Waiting for the sound of impact. Mm. I don't know. With the storm that came through, we may even see Mount Lemon open. Oh, wouldn't have I all three. I got to that off my bucket list, too. Ski Mount Lemon. You should have a lot of things on your bucket list. I know it. I'm running out of time. <laughs> well, wherever you're going and running around, uh, I want to highlight a report I saw from an ADOT press release where their litter hotline at 511, they added, you used to have to remember a website and you'd have to go there and you'd have to remember a license plate and a vehicle make a model. If you're Hooray ADOT for this. Yeah. This just, is awesome. Just call 511 in real time when you see someone littering in front of you. Report them right there on the spot from year over year between April and September. They had a two-thirds increase in litter complaints process. Do you know how much money it costs the state in litter control on highways? Four million a year. Do you know, I just thought everybody had gotten better. But they are obviously doing a really good job. You hardly ever see litter on the highway. So now rather than me run a litter bug off the road i should just <laughs> i should just call 511 just call 511 oh. yeah okay. <laughs> a guy with a tear all right <laughs> don't litter on my land <laughs> oh man and something else i've got no tolerance for litter bugs no zero Mm-mm. zero no i i'm not afraid to call them out when i see it either that's no. just i mean and nobody ever when you call them out on it they're never i mean they're immediately embarrassed and, and caught <laughs> 
Well, the worst ones are when you find like old beds and bed springs out in the middle of the desert when you're on a ride. Like somebody drove all the way out there to dump their stuff when we have all kinds of great dumps and side sidewalk pickup. Seriously. <laughs> ADOT's also installing some new alarm systems uh, between Phoenix and Tucson, you know, that blowing dust area at Picacho. This will alert you of blowing dust along that 10-mile stretch that you often hear about, you know, traffic coming to a stop and people sitting for hours. And, you know, nothing mandates a stop, and inevitably you get some bonehead cruising through there, and an accident happens, and, you know, it can be closed for hours even after the dust storm. So they're installing new warning systems indicating you know, when those heavy blowing dusts are coming. And that's another service available on ADOT's 511. I mean, you dial the number and they answer and they give you several options. And road conditions are one of the options, as well as um, uh, border crossing wait times at the international border crossings on the uh, southern side of Arizona. Uh, And, of course, if you want to report somebody on the Litterbug hotline. So that 511, hooray for Doug Ninsel for thinking about it. <laughs> Way to go, Doug. He'll take the credit even if he didn't. <laughs> we'll give it to him. <clears throat> Did you see out of Green Valley, uh, there was a on the roadway, that passenger bus had exploded into flames? And nobody was hurt. That's nobody what I remember was about hurt. The, that was a great news part. They're creating T-shirts that says, I survived hip <laughs> peak in the winter <laughs> and a bus ride home. <laughs> It was I'm a, so thankful. It was a retirement group that took a oh luxury bus up to the Kit Peak Observatory and just burst into flames, but everyone got off and was safe. Amen. Wow. So Amen. A, that's not exactly how you want to end your Mm-mm. your sky night observatory. And just think, it, you know, it's nighttime. It's the middle of the, it, it dark, and it's black you're not under street lights or anywhere just to get 51 people off the bus without getting hit by somebody <laughs> else right gee well good job to the driver i guess so. well it's thanksgiving weekend we had ours mm. uh, how many turkeys have you guys had we did one thursday yeah. we did one friday with the family at uncle rennie's uh we'll probably we usually do leftovers tonight with our neighbors in the area well don't forget our rosie on the house family Tur- that's right tur- duck and turkey fry we had on wednesday wednesday Play a little cornhole and Jenga, giant Jenga. Just hung out. We don't do that very often. We're always on a time crunch, so we enjoyed that. We're thankful for our crew, aren't we? I, we are very thankful. I, I'm thankful I was here to experience. Yeah, it's a lot miss, different. Miss, a lot miss different. last year. Holiday last year. <laughs> yeah, I walked around Scottsdale all by myself. There was nobody down there. No, it was a weird feeling. Mercy. Lots to be thankful for Absolutely. this year, as there is Every year. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing neat that I saw uh, an article on was that they have giving machines. It's like a giving vending machine. One thing that annoys me is when I'm trying to do my daily tasks and it gets around holiday season, I feel self-conscious. But you know, everyone's like, do you want to give extra for this? Do you want to give? We have a giving plan. We have a tithing plan. We give tons. And you make me feel guilty for saying <laughs> no because you're trying to s- drain me. Just, <laughs> just trying to check out of a store. Oh, my you know, gosh. a gallon of milk. <laughs> It's it's a guilt trip. Why you, I'm gonna push no. Yeah. And they look at you, but you know you you don't. I like to be really sure where my money is going. Right. So, and I don't have time to to vet somebody at the checkout. I agree. So this was something kind of neat that's showing up in Gilbert. Is you can through these vending type machines, you can do food, clothing, medical supplies, hygiene, and then this company um, makes sure that. 
through St. Mary's Food Bank, all those orders get fulfilled. Oh. Well, that'd be a neat way. You know, maybe with more type giving machines, every place you go shop for your basic groceries won't feel that need to bombard you and be in your face for, you know. And it's it comes and goes. It's this, you know, six-week time span throughout the year. Well, where are you the rest of the year? <laughs> you know, if this was so important to yeah. you, wouldn't you be doing it all year? So... It's the Arizona Hour here at Rosie on the House on our post-Thanksgiving broadcast. A little bit of tryptophan. What what was the average calorie intake? It's like four times the average on Thanksgiving than daily activity. We we, sh- we need to figure out how to do the post-broadcast on one of those bicycles where you have like six or seven people pedaling at one time in a circle. <laughs> we could have Gary, <laughs> producer Gary, we could have the call screener station and do this broadcast pedaling around Arizona. Cruise it through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. And welcome back to the Thanksgiving weekend edition of Rosie on the House, where we've talked just a little bit about things we're all thankful for. One of the things we're really thankful for is our partnership with our nonprofits. We have three we're highlighting this month. One is St. Vincent de Paul. Mr. John Junker will be in at 10 o'clock hour to tell you more about what's going on with them. We have interviewed with um, Margie of MAM, Military Assistant Mission, and then also Habitat for Humanity. And they are everywhere, but this one particularly is a Phoenix chapter. They've got a new restore opening. And I mean, how blown away with you were you? When we talk to John about all St. Vincent de Paul does all across the state, they're an incredible organization. They are very, very thankful for all that they do and very happy to be uh, able to, to help them get their word out. It's the last Saturday in November, so we're wrapping up Kingman as our featured staycation destination. It's in the Mojave Desert, and Mojave Desert's known for not only being the highest air temperature ever recorded on July 10th, 2013, of 134 degrees, but the hottest surface temperature on July 15th, 1972, of 201 degree log. Kingman's a little cooler than that because they're up on the plateau and it's constantly got wind blowing through there. It's one of the reasons uh, it's not Amanda's favorite location for uh, rodeo when we when we have to travel to King, but I, I actually really like it. The wind can get a little obnoxious, but I really think that that town is a, a hidden gem in Arizona. And we're going to be switching to Prescott next week, as that is Arizona's official Christmas city. Our staycation winner will be up there at Spring Hill Suites. Nice. For the Christmas tree lighting. You've oh, got that's great. The parade that starts around one, then the lighting about six, and plenty of places to eat and walk around and go see. Um, and then and shop. And but shop. They have the best little <laughs> shops. I love going there to Prescott just to do my Christmas shopping. That first weekend at Prescott, if you ever have need to jumpstart your holiday spirit, that's where you should go. Are they predicting snow? It's been a while since we've had a snow up there. But every now and then, when you're on the courthouse square and you have the, the courthouse lighting, there's snow on the ground. I can remember it very cold and snow-covered, and I can remember it. A couple, we were down t-shirts. in t-shirts <laughs> looking for the closest water fountains. can be either way. But it, regardless, when the lights come on and the Christmas carolers sing on the footsteps of the courthouse and the parade, what else would you need to get you in the holiday spirit? And you'd mentioned shopping, Mom. The nice thing about that downtown Prescott 
and the surrounding areas around there, it's all locally owned. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. the person might not physically live in Prescott. They might live in town and own it. You know, but I mean, it's no chain. You're not going there through Ifnies or Pennies or Coles or whatever. It's all local, unique. mom pop, very unique. You can also get outside. It's temperate enough. You can hike no matter what the weather, if it's snowing or other. And today is also Small Business Saturday. On it's Small Business oh, yes, Saturday. Thank you so for that. tie it all in. Thank you, Gary. You can register to win your Arizona Staycation driven by Sanderson Ford by going to ArizonaStaycation.com. We're taking entries now through the 15th of December, and we'll be sending that winner. Uh, it's actually going to be probably our shortest from Sanderson to destination travel point, uh, but Grand Canyon University, believe it or not. Dr. Dean's a regular uh, on the broadcast in our Arizona Hour with us. and Yes. The Grand Canyon University's hotel and culinary school has bought an abandoned hotel next to it, completely refurbished it, and has a great restaurant. I got to go there uh, a couple weeks ago after the broadcast, and I didn't know what to go expect. Lance had it set up. I showed up. The ho- The restaurant is called 49 for the year that it was established, 1949. He, they had ordered samples of their five best dishes that they were proud of and had them all lined out and waiting oh, for wow. us. Took us through, uh, you know, what, how they prepared each one and some really, really good uh, dishes that I'll, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit deeper in depth. But it's really neat that hotel is getting ready to expand but they're waiting for the light rail plans to finish before they know how much land on this vacant lot they have and all these despite all the the growth that's been going on at grand canyon university they haven't raised tuition costs much in the last two decades and really just a quite a hidden gem in arizona we never even stumbled upon you know katie one of my sisters went there graduated uh, from there years ago i'm not sure they get the credit they deserve for uh, Katie? bringing around, not Katie, <laughs> Grand Canyon University. I'm not, I'm not sure Grand Canyon University gets the credit it deserves. Community impact. For, for the community impact they've made in their neighborhood. No, it, you, it's been huge. And when you think about college and universities in Arizona, you go to the big three, ASU, U of A, and AU. Well, Grand Canyon is going to be one of those in that, uh, in that realm in the near future, I think. No, I don't. They're not going to get to that size of tuition, I don't think, just because of the limited growth around the campus. But when you think about, you know, that that college level, that one's going to be a serious contender. We will. Uh, when you say you don't think they get the credit, well, they're going to get it in December when they, or in January when they're a featured staycation destination. That's fantastic. That's awesome. And what, it, what one more very creative concept? I know it's been tried before, where colleges partner with private industry uh, in areas the university want to be particularly known for. But how creative that they actually are in an ownership position with this. It's going to be curious to see how it works out. I, I have the highest hopes for its greatest success. And this one came together from a listener suggestion. And uh, I don't say it enough, but this Arizona hour is your hour, Arizona. If you've got an interesting people, place, thing, topic you know, story you want to share with others in the state, contact us at info at rosieonthehouse.com.